We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. As Mark said, we're going to take some time at the end of our service and just ask the Lord to come and minister to us and worship Him and allow His Spirit to, to speak to us and in us and transform us. I believe that God wants to bring deliverance to some of us today, um, hopefully to all of us in areas that we've allowed the thoughts of the enemy or the, the intention and strategies of the enemy to, in, to impact the way that we live our lives. Last week, we talked about how there are gates in our life, that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But we leaned in a little bit and saw that gates many times in the scriptures represent a decision. Gates is what can, can keep something out of a city, it's also what can allow something in a city. And a gate in our personal lives, when it comes to spiritual lives, that we live in a spiritual world, that gate is human decision. You make a decision what you allow in your life. As I said last week, how much is the enemy working in your life as a Christian? And I said this, as much as you have allowed him to. How much is the enemy working in our city? And I will say this, as much as we, the occupiers of this city, those who are anointed by God, the kings and priests of this earth, have allowed the enemy to work and rule our city. Say amen, a little better than that, come on. I don't know, that's difficult for some of you because it, it puts responsibility on the Christian, but hey, newsflash, God said this, I go away to prepare a place for you, now you go forth and make disciples of nations, of cities, of people, of families, that's what we're called to do. But today I wanna lean into some personal things for us. What does it mean for us to be influenced by the strategies of the enemy? And I'm talking today about a major gate of human decision that all of us have. And it is the gate of our minds, the access of our minds, our thought life. Now, everything in our lives that, that leads to an action begins in our minds. We, we allow a thought to come in, we entertain a thought, and if we believe the thought is true, we then act on it. And so today, I want us to take some time and talk about the gate and access of access of our minds, our thought life. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the Corinthian church and he's telling them about warfare, spiritual warfare. He's reminding them that they live in a spiritual world. He's also equipping them and that's the heart of these messages. That's the heart really of the gathering of believers. My job according to Ephesians 4 is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so my desire, our desire and heart is to equip you to go and be everything that God has called you to be. And this, this begins by us looking at the scripture and, and allowing the scripture to kind of pull back the curtains of the realities of life, particularly spiritual warfare, and equip you to go and be everything that God has called you to be out there so when we gather again, we can be equipped together to go out there and transform the world around us. Amen? So 2 Corinthians says this, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So this is not a fleshly mind of the flesh, works of the flesh battle that we're engaged in as believers. 
We must understand that. We are spiritual beings called by God to do spiritual warfare on the earth. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are, <clears throat> are a series of lies or a lie that you've believed that has, that has built a wall. It's like a, a palace, a fortress that's been built with lies. And now truth has a difficult time penetrating that area of our, of our, of our minds. So we have divine power to, de to destroy those strongholds in our minds. We destroy arguments. Arguments are, it's, a, it's what God's word says, then an argument comes and says, is it really that way? We find this in the garden. When, when Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan, God said, don't eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Satan says, brought an argument. Did God really say that? It's an argument. It's a, it's a, it's a, a twisting of, of what was true. It's an argument against what is true that we need to align our lives with truth, but this argument comes to destroy that. But we destroy those arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what Paul is saying to believers is this. There is an intentional action of each believer to be aware of, to be discerning of any argument or lofty opinion that is raised against the truth of God, the knowledge of God, the truth of God's word. And we take every thought captive. We don't allow it to penetrate. We don't allow it to transform us. We don't allow us to come to a conclusion that this is now what we believe. We say, no, we're going to take it captive. We're going to reject it. We're going to call it a lie. And we're going to bring it in obedience to Christ and his word. So this is about the gate and access point of our minds. This is something that we need to be determined, the gate and access point of our minds to keep shut against the arguments and lofty opinions of the enemy. And today, we're gonna to believe that God exposes the things that we've, the lies that we believed, and he's gonna come and deliver us and bring freedom in our minds in a way that maybe we've never experienced before. Now, on the opposite side, that same gate of our minds and thought life, that we're to keep shut from the strategies of the enemy. We're to also keep wide open to the truth of God's word and the truth of God's spirit. We're to stay, keep it wide open. God's word comes in, it shapes our minds, it cleanses our minds. The lies of the enemy we keep shut and the truth of God's word is a filter to every thought that comes to us. But the truth is this, the devil loves to put thoughts in our minds. As I've often said, what you believe, you will become. What you learn, you will live out. This is why the battleground between your ears is the most crucial battleground there is in spiritual warfare. What you believe, what, it, what impacts your emotions starts with what you believe in your mind. How you act on whether, how you get your needs met. You go, yes, I know God's word says this, but, but I think I could still get it met this way. It's what you believe you will become. What you believe will meet your needs, will, what you will act on to try to meet your needs, but it won't be what God has for you. This is the massive part of our warfare. Every action begins with a thought. 
And so we as believers, so important for us to understand this, friends, you can be saved, you can be delivered from something in your life, you can be healed, but you can think the wrong way and be rendered ineffective on the earth and for your purpose. See, if we're only concerned about what's going on in this spiritual principality world, where, oh, that, maybe that, that's demonic or that has a demon, and you should be concerned about the works of darkness, yes, or be concerned you should be aware of them is the better way of saying that. And you can be chasing stuff all the time, but if you don't ever take a moment and come to the place to say, hang on, what, is, what am I allowing in my mind to influence who I am? And so if the enemy can keep us, cannot keep us, excuse me, from being saved, he will render us ineffective with with us coming into alignment and agreement with a lie. He will render us ineffective if we believe the wrong stuff about being a follower of Jesus and what it means. Because again, if the enemy can't keep you from being saved, if he renders you ineffective and nothing and no threat to his kingdom, he's fine with that as well. If he can render you ineffective from bringing the principles of God's kingdom to your family or leading your family or raising children or or having a relationship that is life-giving and honoring to Christ, if, 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 if if he just says, oh, you're saved, so that's all that matters, and then we believe all these other lies that keep us from pushing back the, the kingdom of darkness, then he will be okay with that. So the enemy tries to mess with our minds. It's important for us to understand, though, that the forces of darkness cannot read our minds. Psalm 7, 9 says, it is God that tests the hearts and the minds of humanity. It is God who reads the mind. It's God who sees the heart. But what we recognize is that the enemy, though, can put suggestions in our minds through different avenues of influences. Now, I have often said that we live in a world that is a a culture that many parts of the culture are puppets of the enemy to influence you, to get you to believe something so then you act on it. So what what and who we listen to, what we allow to speak into our minds, or maybe past pain or hurts that lead us to being suspicious of individuals or people or culture is used to shape what we believe, entertainment, all of these things influence our imagination. All these things influence what we come to a conclusion about, what we create by our decisions. That's like when someone can imagine something in their imagination, like an artist can imagine something and and can create it. Same way in our own minds. If we imagine something through the influence of the enemy, what we create and the decisions we we make will then flow from that imagination. That's why we need to take, take captive every thought. But these avenues of influence into our lives. So what we need to know is this, that every plan of the enemy against you, every plan of the enemy of, of what he uses is never for your good. It's never truth. John 8, 44 says, speaking of the devil, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, meaning this, that nothing he does can be truthful. 
Nothing he does can be for your good. The purpose of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. So he uses avenues to influence our ways of thinking that bring forth destruction, to kill, and to, and to steal what God has for us. He is a liar and the father of lies. So our thought life is one of the most important battlegrounds of spiritual warfare. And these next three um, sermons over the next three weeks, including this one, are going to be more teacher-like. But we want to equip you so you understand and can see things for as they are. Because we want you, we want all of us to walk in the purpose and the call of God of what he has for us. And part of that equipping for each of us is to expose the strategies of the enemy and to, and to kind of pull back the curtains of our minds and allow the light of Jesus Christ and the word of God to transform us so we can live free lives, we can live impactful lives, and God can heal us and restore everything the enemy has stolen from us. So I believe that the majority of spiritual warfare takes place in the minds. And so again, gates are these access points. And so I want to talk about some of these access points of our thoughts and thoughts that destroy. And then we're going to spend time looking at two of them at the end. And then we're going to spend time asking God to come and reveal and heal us and us be transformed by his spirit today. So thoughts that can destroy us. Now, if I came to you and said, hey, uh, Jason, I'm, I, or if I said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with, with my thought life today. Most of us would come to this conclusion, oh, Jason, uh, maybe he's having like lustful thoughts or he's, he's thinking about maybe he's angry or something like that. But what we forget is there are, there are patterns of thought that aren't just those areas of thought life. We attribute thought life to these, a lot of, the, a lot of times, sexual things or, or something else. But really, one of, one of the, the major areas of thought life that, that destroy us are thought lives and areas of pride. So this is that, this idea that, you know what, I'm, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm actually, I actually know God more than you know God. Actually, God likes me more than he likes you, really. Now, why do these thoughts destroy? Because the, once you act on them and you believe them and you begin acting like they're true, it destroys what God has for you from his heart to serve you and to be something that's life-giving to you. Also, there's this idea in the thoughts of pride, which I, I ran into this a lot in Bible college that, well, you know, I have, a, I have a greater spiritual heritage than you. I remember in Bible college when you're, you know, you're there, you're there to, to seek God, to seek his word, and you always got a, a few pastor's kids in there, which are, it's good, nothing wrong with that, but they're like, I'm so-and-so the fourth <laughs> from a... 50 generations of preachers and evangelists, and, and I've inherited the anointing of Peter himself. And you go, oh my gosh, who am I then? I, I got parents who raised me in the ways of the Lord. And I remember seeking God thinking, well, may, maybe this isn't for me. I, maybe, maybe I guess you got to come from some bloodline along the way. I don't, I don't know. And, and I, I remember... God just speaking to me out of his father heart saying, hey, Jason, um, what is greater? A great grandfather, 
the legacy of a great-grandfather who was a pastor or a heavenly father who is your father. But what happened is those who had this pride, spiritual pride, they, they were separate from the common person. They were too cool for school. They were, they were all that in a bag of chips and nobody liked them. Except for the grandfather, I guess, I don't know. But these, these thoughts of pride can, can sabotage what God has for an individual. Another idea or thought of pride is we believe this, you know, my group is the only group with the real revelation. My group is the only group who really understands end time events. My group is the only group who really understands prophecy. And what happens is arrogance comes in. And what arrogance does, it isolates individuals to where now no one else can really measure up to their knowledge and therefore they're better than everybody else. And what happens is it separates them from the body of Christ and they end up isolated and alone and some even end up starting cults. That's what happens with some of them. And so we even have these thoughts of pride that, would, that the enemy would sabotage even a church where you create factions and niches of, of belief and, well, we really understand the things about this. I know we go to this church, but our group really gets it. And what happens is when you have thoughts or pride or even a pastor who leads a church who's prideful and who, who they try to, try to create their own kingdom, they end up creating like, like a, a royalty structure where you have, you have the outer courts of people, you have the peasants, you have the next group, you have the, the, the Gentile court, you have the inner court, and the Holy of Holies is the pastor, his family, and the 12 people that serve him well and run everybody else. And then you go, oh, I guess I need, what happens is that mindset makes its way into the, the people or the church, and then they try to create their own, or they try to make their way into the inner courts, and then the church becomes about being known and seen instead of honoring and giving glory to Christ. This is this idea that, that God has called us actually to be humble, not prideful. Proverbs 8.13, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. So why would the enemy lead you to have prideful thoughts? Because the scripture says that God resists the proud, but gives humble. It gives grace to the humble. In other words, God uses those who are humble. And he stiff arms those who are proud. So the enemy knows, I will render you useless through your prideful thoughts. And you won't serve anybody. Another thought that destroys is the thoughts of criticism, judgment, and negativity. This is something that runs rampant just in humanity as a whole. And our, our minds can be bombarded with thoughts of criticism. A person who struggles with critical or judgmental or negative thoughts that is influenced by the enemy, if you walk into a, um, you walk into a church and, and they can tell you eight things that are wrong with it and they struggle to tell you one thing that's right. 
They can tell you everything that a pastor said that is, that is wrong and there wasn't enough scripture, there was too much scripture, there wasn't enough points or there wasn't any point or, or what, whatever it may be. And so they criticize and they judge and they are negative. Also, this impacts marriages in a very significant way. Where all of a sudden, you just begin rehearsing the critical things, the judgmental things, the negative things. All of a sudden, a, a, a drawer being closed in the kitchen isn't a drawer being closed in the kitchen. It's like, I can't believe they closed the drawer that way in the kitchen. It becomes... Aren't they, aren't they aware that I'm taking a nap in the other room? It becomes, I can't believe they put the cheese on the counter like that. It becomes, I, that tone? Why do they always have that tone? They're just like their mother. It becomes, they know I like my coffee this way. Why didn't, they, why didn't they make it this way? Or why didn't they bring me the coffee? And we begin rehearsing negativity, criticism, judgment. And so the more and more we believe it and act on it, the further away our relationships get. And the enemy comes in to sabotage what God created to be life-giving. God created a home to be a place of grace and understanding. God created a home and a marriage to be something that honors the relationship between man and woman that really represents his heart and his, as he, Jesus, is our groom and we are his bride and he is full of grace and we are recipients, recipients of it. And then all of a sudden these, these criticism and judgments and negativity come in. And all of a sudden when you begin to believe them, your heart becomes hard. And then the enemy renders your marriage ineffective from what God wanted it to be. You see, our minds and our thought life really matter. And what we allow and what we entertain really matters. There was a season in Cheryl and I's marriage where I just was, I just was getting a lot of these negative thoughts about what she did or didn't do. And I mean, it happened one time, so I'll share it with you, okay? Just once. And it was years ago. But I just, I just, I, I, things are just getting on my nerves. I don't, I don't, like, what is, why is that? And what's going on here? And how, how come that? And, you know, she didn't look me in the eye. And what in the world? And, like, just stupid stuff. And all of a sudden I realized, hang on, this, Satan, you are not going to have any root at all and any thought in my mind whatsoever. And I began to, because I, I have an incredible wife, I began to read Proverbs 31 and thank God. I just, I was affirming everything that my wife, God, I thank you that she's a woman who, who serves. She's a woman who takes care of her family. She's a woman who works hard. She's a woman who brings me honor. She's a woman. And I began going through that. And by the time I was done, that attitude of gratitude just melted away all those demonic voices of criticism towards my wife. I would say this, this alone is probably something that, that has plagued the church because we're Americans and we have opinions and you should hear them. <laughs> and so this idea of criticism, we need to understand 
It is not of the Lord. Negativity and judgment is not of the Lord. It doesn't mean you don't speak truth. It just means you, you speak it and you process through it in a way that is life-giving. Another thought that destroys are thoughts of fear. And again, these aren't exhaustive, but today I just wanted to, to highlight some of these that the Holy Spirit would maybe highlight them in your life, that we could spend time bringing them before the Lord in just a moment. But these thoughts of fear that destroy are thoughts of fear. They dwell on the negative, the what-ifs of life. The what-ifs of life. What if I die? What if I run out of money? What if the plane's going to crash? What if I never get married? Or what if everyone hates me? Or what if whatever it may be. It's always focused on the fear, on the what ifs. And these thoughts keep us bound our entire life of the what ifs. They keep our children from living adventure. They keep us from taking risk. They keep us from, from doing something that someone may not like. It keeps us from taking a risk even in, like to serve in the church. What if I'm not good at it? Or what if someone doesn't like that decision I make? Or what if, and we live in this cage chained to fear. And we forget that the word of God says, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We forget that the scripture says that we serve a God who is with us always. His goodness and his mercy follows us all the days of our life. There's not a moment in my life that the victorious power of Jesus Christ isn't living inside of me. Therefore, I'm going to live the life God's called me to live. But these are thoughts. And maybe you're struggling and recognize today, I struggle with fear and anxiety today. God wants to deliver you. There are also thoughts that destroy, thoughts of unbelief. These keep us from living a life of faith. These keep us from, from leaning in and trusting God when he speaks. This keeps us, as Mark says, from tithing. This keeps us from going on mission trips. This keeps us from believing that God actually does work all things together for my good because I love him. This, this is a thought of unbelief that God can't use me right here and right now because of my past. Or God can't use me because I've been divorced. Or God can't use me because, because this has happened in my life. And, and these thoughts that the enemy influences are thoughts that make us smaller, they make us weaker, and they make our God just as small as our unbelief is. And the Lord wants to set you free from thoughts of unbelief today and infuse you today with the spirit of faith that all things are possible for those who believe. Another thought that destroys us, that the enemy tries to fuel in our minds, is the thoughts of contention and strife. The book of James says we don't have it on the screen, says this though. It says that where there is strife, there is every other kind of evil work. Think about that. Wait, every kind, that's what it says, every other kind. So strife is a, is a, it's a doorway into bringing more things into our life that are destructive. Again, these are thoughts that destroy 
But having, having thoughts of contention and strife, or we, we share our opinions and thoughts with no regard for the other person. And we can hide under the, the prideful, self-righteous banner of truth. Well, it's truth, by golly. Now, you know me. You should always speak truth, and truth is never wrong to share. Now, if you're sharing God's word, if you're sharing God's, God's truth of his gospel, it's never wrong to share. It's always life-giving. Everything about God's word is always life-giving. Just like the scripture we read that everything that comes from the devil is a lie because it is anchored in his character. Everything that comes from God's truth is good and life-giving because it comes from his character. So it's never wrong. It may hurt at times, but it's never wrong. But our spirit, when we have a spirit of strife and contention, we, we don't use, we, we hide under truth, but we're really poking somebody in the eyeball because we want to make a point because we're filled with pride. And we think this, well, you know what? They just need to know what I think. Can I just give you some, some advice? No, they don't. I'm going to tell them what I think. Okay, all right. Do you want to tell them what God thinks first or what you think? But contention and strife, you see it in families. You see it between in-laws. You see it between parents and children, children to parents. What happens is it begins to separate what God designed to be life-giving for you. Could be a friendship, but it's something that is always boiling in your head, contention and strife, contention and strife. And you think you're a prophet, but really you're just pathetic. <laughs> because the fruit of the words of your mouth don't bring healing and restoration. The fruit of your mouth doesn't, doesn't come with love and correction, but pointing people to hope. It comes with condemnation. Here's, here's a good test about if you've ever struggled with thoughts of strife or contention. Have you ever had an argument with someone that wasn't even in your presence in your own head? <laughs> this, is, this is good. In your mind, you're talking to them, and you're giving them the what for. And this is how you know your imagination is being fueled by the strife of contention. In your mind, they answer you back. And then in your mind, you answer them. And you might even move your lips a little bit like. And if someone saw you, they think, I think they've got another personality. But you are having a full-on, knock-down, drag-out argument with an individual that's in your imagination. And it's fueled and it's running. And by the time you're done, your adrenaline's pumping. You look at your Apple Watch, it's like you're 112 just sitting there thinking about it. Your heartbeat just pounding. What is, wait, what is that from? Thoughts of contention and strife. And we as believers have just chalked it up. Well, that's just a part of life. No, it's not. Because from that 
adrenaline from that conclusion in your own mind, from that argument that's happened. Next time you see them, man, you're, this is like your third argument with them and you haven't even talked to them yet. <laughs> but I want, I want to lean into these last two. And these are two areas of our own thought life that influence every one of us. Two things that touch every Christian on the planet at some point, and they're thoughts that the enemy uses to hinder us. First one is inferiority or discontentment. Inferiority is the thought that I'm not everything I'm supposed to be. I'm not enough. I never will be. I'll never measure up. And a lot of these, particularly this one, a lot of times it can be, it can come from even childhood. It can come from a teacher. It can come from a, a family member. It can come from a, a pastor who was a jerk to you. It can come from someone that you looked up to. It can come from a, a friend group who constantly told you or made you feel like you were not enough. You'll never be enough. There's something wrong with you. You're not like the rest of us. You're inferior. It can have something to do even with your own appearance, whether it's a physical thing. It can be a mental thing. It can be an emotional thing. And this idea can limit you from, from what God has for you. And the reality is this, so, much, so many times this, this inferior complex can fuel a lot of our decisions because if you believe you are, are inferior, you will act as though you are, you will become inferior, and you will begin living out the lie that is in your head. And God wants to deliver you today from that mindset, that you are not a certain lower class of Christian, that you were bought by the blood of Jesus because the value of your life is you are one of his children. And if he saved you and called you, it means that he can do anything with you that he chooses and he wants. It is because he has removed all of your sin and he has set you free. He's placed his spirit inside of you so that you can be what God's called you to be. And a person with an inferior complex is one who is always at times also, there's a lot of, can be contention and strife because they're always... They're always offended because they think someone has, thinks they're inferior, though they want to be inferior, but they're believing that they're inferior. And so everything, it's this vicious cycle. And the truth is this, is that if you are in Christ, then you are somebody and you are called by God and anything is possible with your life, that God does not evaluate what you have or, or, or what, who you are or your mistakes of the past before he gives you a purpose. And he gives you a purpose though. And when he does, he also equips you with what you need because you are a child of God. That there is no second class citizen in Christianity. That God calls you to be what he's called you to be. And he wants you to break free and get out of that cloud of inferiority and get to the blue sky of who you really are and allow you to be free and free from that lie in your mind. See, there was a, there was a time I was, um, 
I was speaking at a, at a service and there was a Pakistani pastor and we were both speaking and I said something because I was feeling insecure. I was feeling inferior. And um, I said something jokingly, but I said it to, out of this lie. And he looked at me in this beautiful Pakistani accent and he says, brother, what you just said about yourself. He says, what are you saying about God by you saying that about yourself? And then I became more inferior because I should have known that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it just, it, it ministered to me. I realized, you're right. I'm trying to somehow pad my inferior complex and, you know, I'm trying to pad it in a way that keeps me feeling better about myself because when you're inferior, what happens is that everything becomes about you. And this is why we need to spend time in the Word. This is why we need to read the Word, to find out who you actually are. This is why when you don't feel a certain way and you read and it says you are the righteousness of Christ, you go, I don't feel that way. Well, who gives it what you feel? God says you are, so believe that. And you begin to align your, you begin to, to allow your mind to be washed with the Word. And if the devil, here's, here's, the, here's the strategy behind it. The devil keeps you feeling inferior, then you'll always be competing, trying to prove that that's not true. You'll always be hurt. You'll always feel like everything that's being said is putting you down, even though it's not. You'll always feel like people are against you. You'll never feel like God can use you. You'll always feel like I can't go and do missions, or I can't go and share the gospel, or I can't serve in the church. I don't really, I, I don't really have what it takes. Or you'll always just have a chip on your shoulder thinking everyone thinks I'm nothing. You always think, do I really have something to say? You always think, uh, why well, my opinion doesn't matter, but then it hurts you because you actually want it to, but you're like, but I, but I'm in, I feel inferior, so it doesn't. And, and then you're living in this offended, hurt world where you're always chasing something to try to make you feel better, but it's all stemming from this reality. You just feel inferior and you need to recognize you are a child of God. Stop living in a sub manner than Jesus has called you to live. He's called you to be a victorious king and priest. You are royalty. Now walk and act like it because I said that you are. And the root of most of these feelings of inferiority is this, that you're not being content with who you are. And so God wants to deliver you today from that thought. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do that in, in just a few minutes. And the last one is this that really impacts every believer is a thought that destroy is the thought of condemnation. This is a feeling that most Christians have most of their lives. A lot of Christians do. I had a roommate in college who was always struggling with, I'm condemned. I'm not enough. God really isn't pleased with me. I'm really not forgiven. I'm always having to prove something to God. One of the, one of the titles that the Bible gives the devil is this 
phrase here that he's the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of believers. What do you think he's accusing you of? He's accusing you of, you might be saved, but God's not for sure he actually fully accepts you yet. You might be forgiven, but you still need to be punished for your sin. Jesus might have died for you, but you still have some work to do to earn his love. And you're condemned. Condemnation is this thought that you're, you're not pleasing to God. It's this thought that God loves you, but he doesn't really like you. It's this thought that no matter what, you'll never be spiritual enough. That you don't pray enough. You don't read the Bible enough. You don't... You don't love God enough. And this battle goes on in your head. And so many believers, probably many of you here today, live every day of their life under this condemnation. And what happens is many times we, when we look even in the scriptures and we look at some of the things of the law and you go, man, I, I can't measure up. Even the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. Well, the Scripture says if you broke one of them, you've broken all of them. And we, we, the enemy gets us fixated on, on the sin of the past. What we forget is, did God give the Ten Commandments to keep us from lying, or did he give it to, to the, the people because they had already lied? Thus, they'd already broken it. So then what are you going to do? And the law, and the enemy uses the law, he uses what is truth to point some things out on us and to condemn us. Points out all of the failings. When we read and we go, oh, I, I, have, I have sexually sinned that I, I failed. Or, man, I, I was greedy and I was lustful. And, or I... I tried to self-harm myself, and I, that's, oh, I failed. I didn't, I didn't raise my kids the way that I, I knew I should. I didn't love my wife or my husband the way, the way I should. I didn't create a, an environment the way that I should have. And, and we live underneath everything that we failed at. And the voice of the enemy, these thoughts of condemnation, points its finger at us. It's relentless until it pushes you into the corner and has you cowering and trembling and losing self-worth. You are nothing. You are condemned. And what happens is the enemy uses truth out of context. So the truth is this. Because all of the scripture is true. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says this, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Raise your hand if you've ever not fully fulfilled the law of God. 
<laughs> you guys are terrible. <laughs> okay, so, so we know this to be true. And so the spirit of condemnation comes in and says, see, you're cursed by God. You're cursed. It says, and then we go, oh, wait, maybe we can find some hope in the New Testament. And we come over to Galatians 3, and it says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Oh, that's the New Testament too. And we feel condemned and we feel cursed. And we think I can't be free from my past. I'm cursed. I can't be free from my sin. I'm cursed. I can't be free from my failings. I'm cursed. I can't be free. I'm cursed. It's over. And a cloud of just pain and condemnation and emptiness comes over us. But what we, what the spirit of condemnation does, and I'll tell you this, the thoughts of condemnation, it takes the word of God out of context. And like if we were to read Galatians 3.10, like we just read, we would then stop there. And say, see, but if we were to just keep reading and we go to verse 11, it says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, if you don't have faith and you think the law is what justifies, if you think if the law is what condemns you as a follower of Jesus, then you're condemned. And then verse 13 says, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by redeeming, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what is the, what is the curse that it's being talk, talked about here? It's the penalty of when we fail. All of us are due a penalty, because we've all failed. Everyone here has failed. And Satan constantly reminds us of our failure, pointing out to us, cursed is everyone who does not abide. Cursed is everyone who does not keep the law. Cursed is everyone who does not live by the, by the law. Cursed is everyone who does not keep the law. You're cursed, you're a fail, failure, you're, and God condemns you. But we forget that Jesus came and took the curse for us. And so how do we deal with the thought of condemnation? This is how you deal with it, I'll tell you right now. You embrace it and you go, you're right, I have failed. But Christ redeemed me from the curse of that failure. I'm no longer under the curse. Jesus took the curse that I deserved 
and nailed it to the tree, as the word says. And he nailed it as far as the east is from the west. So far he has removed my transgressions from me. We embrace the accusation of the devil and we praise Jesus for his work in our lives and say it is because of Jesus that I'm free from the curse. You see, Jesus has not just covered you or covered up your sins. He washed them with his own blood. We always say, listen, God has forgotten your sins. No, 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 no. Forgotten is uh, it's an accidental behavior. God says in Hebrews 8, 12, Isaiah 43, 25, and Jeremiah 31, 34, I actually will remember your sins no more. In Christ, it isn't that he forgotten them. He just does, he chose to never remember your sins ever again. You are no longer condemned. And here's the beautiful thing. And how do, we, how do we walk in this freedom? John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Look, he will forgive us all sins, our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is what God has for us, freedom. Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became all that I am so that I become all that he is. Jesus said, if you'll take my background, I'll take yours. See, your time or experience in your background of evil has nothing on the time and background Jesus has in holiness and righteousness. He, is, he has been holy and righteous from the beginning. Before there was a time, he was. And Satan wants to limit you in your own mind and diminish the word of Jesus in your life. And you cannot fight in a spirit world with natural worldly thoughts. You can't fight spiritual world with spirits of competition or pride or arrogance. You can't replace the lies with the truth of God's word. Here's, here's the reality. God's word, truth is like a bouncer at a nightclub. If the thought is not truth, it gets bounced out. Remove it. It's like at a, at a security checkpoint at the airport. You can't enter unless you go through this truth screening. This is what we're to do in our own minds. It's these thoughts. Thoughts, do you have a right to be in this Christian mind? And then you get rid of them and you align your, yourself with the word of God. We are to filter our minds through truth. And God wants to bring deliverance to many of us today that struggle with these thoughts that are destructive. Why are you thinking a particular thing? Where did it come from? And then you're to align yourself to the Word of God and allow God's Spirit to minister to you and in you. So if we can, let's just stand to our feet. And I just want to ask you today as the rest of the worship team comes out, 
as we have been walking through this today, talking about the gates of our minds, what area of thoughts that you need deliverance from today? Is it fear? Is it unbelief? Is it condemnation? Are you, are you having thoughts that you're inferior? Is it criticism? Is it negativity? Are you being judgmental? Do you have a hard time not finding something wrong all the time? Do you find yourself living in strife or contention? And do you realize this is not life-giving to me? I don't want these thoughts. I want to be set free. Do you find yourself maybe caught in a cycle of lustful thoughts? Caught in a cycle that, that you, just, you just can't break some of these, these mental strongholds in your mind? Do you find yourself constantly thinking about divorce and you just can't stop it and you just think that must be God's will? Well, listen, today we're going to bind the work of the enemy that he's been lying to you and bringing these, these thoughts that are not within his will, his purpose over your life. And I'm just going to ask right now for the Holy Spirit to come. And if you can, just bow your heads and close your eyes or, and lift your hands to the Lord just as recipients to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Father, we come to you today recognizing we don't, we don't have the full list of really what's going on in all of our minds. But Holy Spirit, you do. Your truth can separate truth from a lie, separate emotion from what is reality. And Lord, today, by the power of your Spirit, we invite you into this room just right where you are, just invite the Spirit into your mind and your heart. And Lord, we want to take these next few minutes and just ask you to reveal anything that we've allowed in our minds that we were supposed to keep out. And Lord, I ask you that your truth would begin bouncing these things out of our minds. That you begin healing us. You begin healing us from the feelings of deep inferiority, that you begin healing us from pride and we just confess. Lord, your word we just read, your word says if we confess, you're faithful to forgive and to cleanse and to restore. Lord, today we just lay all these, these things at your feet, those things that have, that have impacted us in a negative way. God, we just lay them before you. We ask you to restore that which the enemy has stolen. And right now, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to just do surgery on our minds. Over these next few minutes, as we worship you, as we submit ourselves to you, Lord, we just take this time and these moments. And so as we begin to worship today, as, we begin to, as you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life, feel free to come. You can come to the altar. You can ask God to cleanse your mind, ask God to just do whatever work he wants to do in you as we begin to worship. So Lord, we commit this time to you as you meet us here to transform us with your word. In Jesus' name. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.